0: Hey everyone, welcome to West New York Brews. My name is Scott, and on this episode, we are talking to Kevin Ford and Drew Hardin of the Trocare Brewing and Distilling Program. They are also a Buffalo Distilling Company and Thin Man Brewing, respectively, and today we're talking about bourbon. Hey, so once again, my name is Scott. We're talking to Drew and Kevin. We're going to talk about bourbon. Let me explain how, how it got into it a little bit. Uh, I am trying to expand my palate into the realm of whiskeys, and I decided to start with bourbon. So I've been drinking a bunch of different kinds of bourbon. I've mentioned it on the last couple of episodes, and I wanted to get some local uh, feedback on a local bourbon. So I went out and I got myself a bottle of One Foot Cock bourbon from uh, Buffalo Distilling Company, and I thought, let's talk to the distiller, and that's uh, Kevin Ford over at Buffalo Distilling. And he, along with Drew Harden, teach at Trocare a course about uh, brewing and distilling. So I thought, let's get them both on. So I reached out to Drew to see if he could connect us up with, with Kevin Ford. And this is the two of them talking about the program, talking about bourbon in general, and talking about this bourbon in particular and how it's made. So if you want to see this episode if you want to see the video of this episode i posted it on our youtube channel it's youtube.com forward slash wnybrews and from now on i'm going to be posting the video of the episodes on our patreon page we have talked about it for months i'm actually going to do it it's patreon.com forward slash wnybrews so this one is going out just public on youtube uh but after this one, if you want to see them, they will be up on Patreon. They're going to be a longer version of what you would hear on this podcast. On the podcast, I tend to cut things if they go just a little too far off tangent, if they tend to be a little bit too far insider baseball, like you won't get it unless you know a specific person or, or a specific event, uh, uh, inside jokes. I will cut it if it's before or after the actual um, topic of the episode. Or sometimes we just cut things because, you know, it goes for two hours. I don't want to cut it down to one hour. And I'm going to put all those back in to the Patreon editions. And I won't do any uh, censoring on the Patreon editions, except for if somebody says, hey, this is off the record. That's the only kind of thing I'm going to cut from the patreon episodes everything else will stay on that so if you want to sign up it's on patreon.com it's patreon.com forward slash WNY Bruise. and there are various support tiers and if you choose a uh, certain support tiers there's actual physical products that you're going to get to like uh, buffalo beer league uh, uh stainless steel pint glass or a t-shirt or a west new york brews pint glass so um that is on Patreon.com forward slash WNYBrews. The video of today is at YouTube.com forward slash WNYBrews. And before we get into this, I want to let you know that you can find uh, all of these episodes at WNYBrews.com. And we are a member of the Hopped Up Network. That is a podcast network of local uh, independent beer podcasts. I'll say regional because it's not all local here. It's regional independent beer podcast you can find all that at hoppedupnetwork.com of course please check out buffalobeerleague.com which is where west new york brews lives and is probably the best place to keep up on beer news in buffalo buffalobeerleague.com so here's the episode about bourbon with kevin ford and drew and i'll talk to you at the end kevin you are the head distiller at buffalo distilling company Right. And you have the distinct privilege of working with Drew at Trocare, right? Yes, I do. All right. So tell us about the program at Trocare. What, what are you guys doing over there first?
1: Uh, well, I uh, was just brought in this semester um, to kick it off uh, with Drew. Drew's been doing it for a little while now. Um, it, it's always been, or uh, for the past few years, it's been a brewing and distilling program. And a big part of that uh, with Brian before Drew Uh, Andrew, uh, on the distilling end of that, was bringing them uh, to our place, uh, Buffalo Distilling Company, and giving them a chance to see something in action. Um, Unfortunately, you can't really, uh, you're not supposed to (coughs) distill on a home scale or a small scale, so it makes the education really difficult. Uh, It makes it it hard to do that. Um, So I'm really excited to come on uh, because uh, we have the opportunity to bring them uh, to a facility, and, and actually show them some distillation. But uh, Drew can tell you more about that. Uh, you started off.
2: Yeah, uh, so I got pulled into Trocare uh, the spring semester of last year, uh, was teaching at, and trip. Um, when I signed on last year, I was just doing the brewing science program, uh, kind of turned around with that. And this year they're looking to have me do the um, brewing science uh, tasting and evaluation and craft beer um, so uh, that itself uh, encompasses the distillation program uh, because it is part of the hospitality program at Trocare. Um so it's kind of one of the newer programs you know NTRIP has had their program for a few years uh, ECC has had their program for a few years the TroCare program was running and was going, um, you know, Kevin was teaching, Kevin Wise was teaching the uh, biochemistry out there and doing the brewing science for them for a while. Um, after his uh, untimely passing, uh, that program kind of slowed down a little bit and kind of lost a little bit of steam. Kevin was a fantastic human being and he was really mm-hmm. smart and knew, knew his stuff. So uh, it was a great, great loss to the education community and beer community as well. Um But so they called me on in the spring. We got a program rolling. They wanted me to turn around and teach it this year again and actually pick up a few more programs. Uh, At that point, when I was teaching the spring semester, I contacted Kevin, who's Kevin Ford, who's also a good good personal friend of mine. And I was like, hey, I was like, I don't know too much about this. You know, I got a a good base of knowledge and I know how distillation works, but I am by no means a distiller. I'm a brewer first. Um, So I I asked Kevin if he could help me out and he graciously offered to bring the students down to... uh, uh, Buffalo Distilling Company, and show them around, and give them some uh, distillation education. And so now we're doing our best to try and roll forward as much as we can. Uh, obviously, in the uh, the COVID age, uh, trying to figure out what's going on. You're a teacher, you know how that works. So you know a lot of yeah. stuff is remote learning, remote learning now. And the the end of the snow day, and uh, end of an era for that. But uh, you know we're we're trying to to fit and make an adjustment and and try and get everyone there. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure it's, it, it's a lot easier to find students on a non-collegiate level because they're more mandated to go to school than they are yeah. <laughs> by choice.
0: Right. Um, it's all geographic.
2: Right. Uh, so, so the program for us at the college has kind of waned a little bit. I think it's waned in higher education, at least from who the other professors and things that I've talked to where people are just like, I'm going to take a semester off or I'm going to take two mm-hmm. semesters off and just not put myself at risk and, you know take some time outside of the the classroom and so uh some of our school attendants have been down for some of the you know the more fun or uh i guess you could say i I will i will say less lucrative programs because i am a brewer (laughs) and i know that i do not make as much money as if i went and did the nursing program or that any of the medical programs that that also happens to offer so i'm like i'm that that cool guy that gives you cirrhosis of the liver that you know those (laughs) two years those other people that are going to make a lot of money off me later
0: so what's the end game then for somebody who's going for um for brewing and distilling is it in management is it in management of a brewery or in a distillery is it in
2: oh production? the program itself is it's the program itself as it's outlined is to teach you it's mainly focused around brewing there is a decent amount around distillation mm-hmm. um but it's really okay. about ca- uh, craft beverage production uh so it's education on ingredients processes uh, you know, st- starting with grain and water and barley and then ending up with a, you know, a product on the other side, um, uh, a lot of the science elements of that, what is actually physically happening. Uh, so it's not just kind of like water, grain, warm, make <laughs> beer, like, no, it you know, there's, there's a lot more science behind that, um, you know, especially if you're on the distillation side, uh, you know, I know it sounds radical, but you don't want to blow yourself up. It is possible. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, so you, I've you, heard. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, I've seen Mr. Bluster's, you know, they, they a little bit. Of it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it's, it's more an education than that. Uh, we do focus on some of the marketing and management side of things. We also do a lot of the hospitality industry uh, side of things like that. So uh, for proper service storage. Uh, so if you wanted to, you know, go into a distributorship or something like that, you know, you still have to know about keeping your beer cold. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if you want to open up your bar, your own bar or brewery, it's like we go over service draft line service um Kevin and I recently um in the past two Saturdays offered a workshop for the certified or uh, not certified I'm sorry the Cicerone uh master beer server uh mm-hmm. certification uh obviously it's great to have especially if you're going to try and get a job in the restaurant or hospitality industry uh not so much serving in buffalo right now but you know if you want to into the marketing sales or promotions and management fields um that would definitely be advantageous to you uh so it's pretty much an all around program uh, we do an internship as well at that point that's kind of where do you want to take it uh, you could work in a brewery you could work in a distillery you could work at a craft beer uh, tap room or establishment um, you know you could work at a distributorship in a sales and marketing position like you can take it any way that you really want to go from there and those will all count towards your intern hours um, and so you know it's really kind of where where you where you find interest in that program Mm -hmm. uh we do run a pretty core syllabus but kevin and i are always open to interpretation if you want to talk about something a little more on you know the sales and marketing side or the management side or equipment side or engineering side you know we try and put at least i think kevin and i are smart enough to figure out most problems in our day so (laughs) and (laughs) Uh, we're uh, we're pretty good at, at breaking it down
1: and i i think the that kind of encompasses the beauty of the course is that it, it's a what do we call it workforce placement
2: yeah workforce workforce development
1: workforce development yeah. so, so yeah, the whole idea is, uh, to get get somebody to a place where they can start some work. we've both dealt with um i shouldn't say dealt with we've had the privilege of getting <laughs> it, uh, some interns from a lot of these programs um so we know uh we know how to get them ready to to hit the shop and make the most of their time there. Um, and that's what we want to do is create people who are happy and, and productive wherever they choose to go and, you know, do a little bit of help. You know, we want people to find their places, but we can help them out finding places too.
0: Awesome. So the beverage, okay. So it's a beverage craft beverage course. Can we talk about where the two diverge then where brewing versus distilling? Like for example, Kevin, if you, if you want to take us through the process of making a bottle of one foot cock. Sure. Starting with, of course, the grain and heat the water and.
1: Sure, um, I'll uh, I'll give the the simple rundown. If we want to get into <laughs> anything else later, right?
0: Nope, I need percentages. I need I temperatures. Will go. go.
2: Oh, I, will I, pay. I, I need I need whiskey. I'll be right there. <laughs> Grab some whiskey, Um uh, Well, it starts uh,
1: it starts same way as uh, most alcohol, which is uh, some sort of sugar. Um, for whiskey, um, which is mostly what I 'm making uh, most of the year, uh, that's grain. Uh, so it's mostly corn, uh, some wheat, barley, uh, rye. Uh, now people are using stuff like sorghum, uh, all kinds of different uh, a lot of malted, different uh, crazy malts. Um, so you start with <laughs> and water. Um, you heat use heat uh, and some enzyme science that happens with malted grains um but through this cooking process uh, it's a lot like making oatmeal um through this cooking process uh you break down starch which is a complex sugar into a uh, simple sugar uh something you can taste uh taste sweet um so from there uh you had yeast yeast ferments uh it eats that um sugar uh ferments it into alcohol uh and that's kind of the same process as making beer mm-hmm. uh that p- cooking process is different for both of us, but um, at the end of the day, the the end goal is very, very similar.
0: Right, so far, it's pretty similar. It's straight down, s- straight down the beer path. I think people who listen to this podcast generally have an idea about brewing beer, so that probably all sounded really familiar.
2: Right. Yeah, the, the, it, sorry, Kevin. Uh, the, 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 m- the mashes are, are pretty much identical. Um, mm-hmm. So when, when it comes down to actually the enzymatic processes, that start everything off great like Kevin said breaking down those starches into simple sugars those are exactly the same for distillation and beer brewing uh, okay. it just depends with you know with beer brewing you have to be a little bit precise of which of those ingredients you're making your oatmeal with because mm-hmm. uh, there's some darker oatmeals and some lighter oatmeals and you got <laughs> and you got to mix them all together we're we still the right talking wans? about
0: beer right we're still talking about beer
2: Still talking about beer, yeah. All right, all right. Uh, but then, with, you know, with with Kevin, I mean, I'm pretty sure it matters to him too, especially. But that's also dependent upon what he's making, whether he's making vodka or gin or or whiskey.
0: Exactly.
2: But the mash is exactly the same.
0: <laughs> for making a whiskey, it's got. Or, I'm sorry, for a bourbon, it has to be over fifty percent corn, right?
1: Yes, it's uh, it's fifty-one percent corn, um, um, but it can be up to a hundred. Uh, the big differentiation between bourbon and, and whiskey percentage wise is that, um, to sum it all up, bourbon can have more, uh, kind of in beer terms, uh, adjunct, I think you would say, uh, than a typical American whiskey. So you can have more wheat, you can have more rye, uh, which lends to a more complex bourbon, uh, and then a few other things, uh, that make bourbon bourbon, um, lend to its characteristic richness, heavy ester content, just a really, really kind of thick uh, and sweet uh, product versus a lot of American and Irish whiskeys, uh, which are a little thinner, a little uh, cleaner, a little easier to drink.
0: So I'm, I'm sorry. I stopped you at, at the fermentation process. That's where we were oh, yeah. uh, before I jumped back in. I'm sorry.
1: Oh, it's going to happen. We'll uh, lay it out
0: for the people who don't know what, sure. what the process uh, is.
1: So... So we get to fermentation and that's kind of where things start to get, uh, weird. If a, if a brewer was in in my place, he might get a little uneasy about some of the things we do. Um, but the fermentation process is converting that sugar that we've created, uh, into alcohol. Uh, we're looking at like 12%. So that's a lot higher than most beers. Um, but we're looking for kind of the most bang for our buck. Uh, we're still moonshiners at the end of the day. Right. So from there, uh, where a, a brewer would filter, bottle, uh, etc., cetera, um, this is the stage at which we distill. Um, so distillation uh, is a process of heating and cooling um, where we want to extract uh, as much of that alcohol on its own uh, from this mash. Um, so the mash contains uh, grain, it contains water, it contains ethanol, um, and it also contains a bunch of acids Uh, And esters uh, that are created through that fermentation process. Um, Point is, all those things boil at a slightly different temperature. Um, So, if you were to put these things on a stove, don't do this, very dangerous. (laughs) (laughs) But if you were to put all these things on a stove, uh, everything boiling off, um, the content of that steam would change. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's kind of like if you're making, um, you're cooking and you add uh, whiskey to a pan, you're making a caramel sauce or something it lights up. That's because that alcohol evaporates a lot faster than everything else in that pan, uh, and it, it sparks up. Um, that's
2: that—that's the myth of explosion if you do it at home. Exactly.
1: So the whole point of this is that once you have that evaporation, uh, you're boiling off uh, that alcohol, uh, you condense it, you want to capture it. Um, so we more or less have a pot, a cooker, uh, with only one path out. Uh, and right before the exit of that path, uh, we have a chilled channel. Um, that channel uh, condenses uh, what's, what's coming out. So rather than a jet stream of alcohol vapor shooting out into our still house, mm-hmm. uh, we have a nice stream of relatively high strength alcohol. Uh, depending on what you're making, depending on uh, what you're trying to achieve or what step in the process of what you're making, some things have multiple distillations. Um, that's going to come out at a different proof, a different speed, going to taste good, might smell terrible, uh, mm-hmm. but that's all the process. Um, that's more or less the bones of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, once you get into individual products, um, things get a lot more complicated, uh, but it's more or less making beer. And then this distillation stuff, uh, start to finish. So
0: then this one in particular. One foot cock, which you can see I've already put a pretty good dent in.
1: Yes. Here.
0: And and I I do want to pour myself some so we can talk. And I, I need to ask this too, because I'm new to whiskey. Okay. Um and I've been trying my best. But I've got four different types of glasses here. I'll show it to the people watching who might eventually watch. <laughs> I've got a uh like a stemless glass here. Got a goblet. 16 ouncer uh with you know the tulip side got five ounce version and
1: a rocks glass
0: i'm gonna pour some whiskey which one would i would i go for right now
1: i like this number three drew what do you think oh uh, what
2: did you say kevin i'm sorry i like number three the small the, one. the small one yeah uh for for portion and concentration i like that too because you get the tulip it concentrates the aromas right towards your nose and you're not really that far off of uh what you're smelling Okay. Uh, because if you're, if you're I mean, I don't know if you're pouring yourself five ounces of whiskey, no. <laughs> but your uh, your nose is very close in that small of a glass. So you're very close to the, the layer of liquid, uh, whatever whiskey or bourbon you're taking So sometimes that can be a little a little close for people. It'll kind of give you a little nostril Bernie guy because you're, you're picking up all those bottles and those alcohols really quick. So I like a little bit of space mm-hmm. uh, personally. Uh, I I'm a weirdo and I'm also a beer guy. So I'm drinking out of a Tiku glass. Nice. Uh, which is also, you know, you got the nice big concentrated sniffer, it's I kind of tilt it back, and it's a little bit closer, but it gives me a lot more air at the top. So when I tilt it back like that, if I'm going to smell it, I've got all this space okay, yeah. of concentrated aroma, and I'm getting that up here. So I would probably say your your uh, your just regular Belgian tulip glass. I like those. I also like the weight. So I'm also a sucker for a rock splash mm-hmm. just because I like the dunk, um, and I. <laughs> ice sounds different and you can say what you want the ice sounds different in a rocks glass when you you have a ice thinking in a rocks glass but uh, uh, I would probably say that the Belgian
0: that was the next question ice no ice
1: no
2: ice no ice Uh, I I like it neat I'll do neat with a a little drop or two of water to open it up but I mean it's what you like if you like it cold then
0: whiskey rocks or don't waste your money
1: I've never I'm my thing with the whiskey rocks is I'm well also I'm drinking a cocktail right now so I have an excuse there's some ice. nice um so you're right whatever you like um my thing with whiskey rocks is that if you like drinking uh I always say like if you like ice I always feel like the temperature really dulls the flavor Mm -hmm. so if you enjoy drinking whiskey um ice may you might think that you you really like drinking it with ice. But if you tried just a dropper of clean water, you might really, really like it a lot more. Uh, You still get that dilution, um, but you're not killing the flavor. Uh, And once you have that dropper of water, add as much as you want. Uh, Like Drew said, it's whatever you like. Um, And when you look at a, you're buying a bottle of whiskey on the shelf, the proof that it's at is an expression of whoever decided to package it. Mm -hmm. Um, whether it was the distiller um, or the blender or whoever it was, uh, somebody decided on that proof based on their preference. Um, So who's really to say that that's your preference? Uh, Mm -hmm. If you have a product that you really love um, and it's bonded, uh, nobody says that you're expected to drink it at a hundred proof. What Uh, does that
0: mean? What does bonded mean?
1: um, So bonded uh, or (laughs) specifically, Bottled in bond. Uh huh. Yeah, what? bottled in bond. I must have something.
0: Not that bottle of chimes up there.
1: No chimes. I do not think. Yeah. <laughs> I do not think chimes is
2: bottled in bond. Oh. Uh, old. They do old granddads bottled on bond. Yeah, I, to- I tossed my old granddad. um uh, what else? I think there's some beam that's bottled on bond.
1: A lot of products you can buy a version that's bottled in bond. Um, yeah laird's apple brandy is an example so
2: uh,
1: laird's is a laird's is a really good example Uh, laird's is one of the oldest distilleries in uh the country um they make a product apple brandy it's all they make um apple brandy is basically whiskey made out of apples um super 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 traditional american product um that product today if you buy it is a blend of somewhere between 30 and 70 percent neutral grain spirit, which is vodka, uh, blended with 100 percent Laird apple brandy. Um, so the flavor is kind of washed out compared to the true expression. Um, now Laird sells a product called uh, Bottled and Bond. Uh That product is 100 percent apple brandy and it's bottled at 100 proof. Um, and that's because of a, a, a rule, a federal ruling um, on the bottled and bond uh, that basically says it has to be made in, in one distillery season, um, so half a year, by one distiller. Uh, it needs to be bottled at 100 proof, um, and it needs to be, I think, at least four years old. Um, so, yes, four years old.
2: Does it have to be uh, aged and stored at a government-bonded warehouse as well? Mm-hmm.
1: Which at at this point in America, I guess maybe not at the time, but at this point in America, if you're a distillery, you're a bonded warehouse. Uh, so Buffalo Brewing right. Company, a bonded warehouse. Um, right. But yes, uh, and then there's something like the guy's name has to be on the bottle or something.
2: Yeah, it has to. That's why you see a lot of uh, spirits that come out that actually have the signature somewhere on the bottle. So this yeah. is Basil Hayden's, okay. and they sneak it and they sneak it on. The label topper uh but you'll see a lot of other ones that will have it like just it'll have the description and then it'll be like bloody blah joe smith our head mm. distiller right and, it'll, and they'll like sneak it on the label because it has to be on there
1: I'm so at the, label here. the whole now that product not bottled <laughs> uh, <laughs> no
2: one's uh, getting kevin's signature those checks are worth money
1: <laughs> <laughs> so the whole um i still sign a couple they slip out it's for me <laughs> um some of these, uh, products, uh, at the time, uh, kind of just pat- post prohibition, uh, this was a ruling that was to protect the consumer. Um, it was so that people knew what they were getting. Uh, they knew that if it was bonded, it was a hundred proof. Um, there was no question about it at the time. You didn't really need to put proof on the bottle. Um, so a lot of people's whiskey preferences was which one kicked the hardest, mm-hmm. um, And a lot of that was based on uh, when you hear about people adding chemicals and stuff to whiskey, uh, a lot of times you could get a kick cheaper off something that wasn't alcohol. Mm -hmm. Um, So people would kind of still feel that bond was meant to protect a lot of the consumers when it came to that. Uh, So if you see something like Navy strength rum, um, that was another term uh, that was used to protect the consumer. Uh, Navy strength was considered the lowest proof at which you could light something on fire. Um, so you couldn't get ripped off if you could light that on fire I think it's like 121 or 122 proof uh-huh. yeah. um, So you'd pour it on a spoon and you'd put a candle to it and if it lit up, okay, I'll buy it and if it didn't light up it was eh, I'm not taking it. Um, so a lot of these kind of terminologies uh, and rules uh, that you see in the liquor industry are pre-prohibition. Um, some even further going back, um, and aimed at trying to protect the consumer. Um, nowadays, you don't see a lot of uh, bonded products. Uh, it's it's kind of a lot of work and really expensive to do that. Um, you don't see it on our bottle, uh, and that's because that bottle was aged about 3.2 years or 3.3 okay. years. Um, so our oldest barrel will crest four years, April second. Um, so April second will be our, our first first day that we could release a bottled and bond product. We'll taste it if it's uh, if it's up to snuff. We'll plan the party, um, and if it's not, we'll uh, we'll keep waiting.
0: So it's it's meant to be from one barrel, then?
1: I I don't believe so. No, okay. It could be a blended well, product.
0: Anything uh, that was said that was wrong, I'll make sure to cut out too. So,
1: well, the the kind of weird thing about a lot of these terminologies that you hear, like single barrel, huh? single barrel doesn't mean anything to the government. Um, So we put out a product called single barrel, right? That's unblended. Uh, Cross my heart (laughs) on the whiskey Lords. Um, That is an unblended product. Now uh, knob Creek single barrel uh, where the liquor store gets the barrel sent to them and the bottles that come to that liquor store are cased up from that single barrel um, based on the tradition and ethics of this industry I have no doubt that those men did that. Um, But based on their legal obligation, there isn't any. Um, So a lot of this is kind of uh, tradition and respect and a whole, whole slew of marketing.
0: This is batch nine. Uh,
1: Recent, uh, definitely over three years old, um, somewhere between 3.2 and 3.3.
0: That's so cool that you, that you could know that. Cause a batch, I mean, a batch of beer goes through my house. I make five gallon batches. A batch of beer goes through my house in a week and a half.
1: Perfect.
0: Right. So a batch of, of bourbon to be three and a half years later. I know that's batch nine.
1: Yeah. Signing nice. off on the bottle is really um, a cumbersome task for a small place like us. Uh, we have three owners and myself. That's our staff right now. Wow. Wow. Uh, Two of those owners are full-time uh, and one comes in when he when he can uh, and builds everything. Uh, he's awesome. Um, what, what
0: did you do before the first two years?
1: Just not release
0: any bourbon? Before you uh, reach
1: so two years? We started out in a very unique way uh, compared to a lot of whiskey distilleries. Um, so s- most small craft whiskey distilleries uh, that start out, um, and this is where my my elbow is sharpened a little bit. Um, a lot of whiskey distilleries that start out these days start out through a process called sourcing. Um, uh, and that's the most common. Uh, every whiskey distillery uh, that I know uh, within uh, driving distance of here uh, is doing this process. Um, that's more or less you, you find a large manufacturer of whiskey um, and you start trying a lot of their barrels. Uh, So you reach out to them and you say, hey, I have a whiskey distillery. Uh, I need some whiskey. And they say, okay, well, we got some four-year-old weeded bourbon. Um, We've got some six-year-old rye that's really nice, but it's kind of pricey. We do have some of this George Dickel uh, that eh, didn't really turn out so great. So we got a whole lot of it real cheap if you want it. (laughs) Um, We got this weird stuff where we put uh, ultraviolet light and electrons to it. Uh, with old uh, wine barrels and we apply radiation and it ages in 20 minutes if you want uh. to try some of that. They got everything. So uh, you grab some of that, you bottle it, you create a story around your distillery, you create a story around your community and uh, you have a brand. And then typically four, six years into that process, um, they start to make some of their own product. Uh, and then four to six years after that, they start to release some of their product. This is like the Whistle Pig, um, the High West. Uh, I don't think Tin Cup ever started making anything, but uh, that's how a lot of these companies start. Um, we kind of took it from the opposite direction, which mm-hmm. we started making moonshine. Um, we actually started making apple brandy. That was the first product that the guys ever made out in the barn. Um, so unaged products and then very minimally aged products three month six month whiskey um but it was it was fun and people were digging it um and uh one of the owners andy uh he's the kind of guy that uh you hear him talk about it you can't you can't say no um he just makes you fall in love with the product uh so that kind of combination of things just kept the ball rolling uh and it had the snowball effect where more and more people started to hear about it and more and more people started to jump on board and we were able to have a really organic natural growth um no marketing uh it was just grassroots uh us anytime you heard about buffalo distilling company until maybe the last six months Mm -hmm. uh it was somebody came to us and said hey can we can we roll some cameras hey can we write a story uh we weren't reaching out and we certainly (laughs) weren't weren't paying anybody to talk about us. Um, we were just heads down doing our thing. Um,
0: the name certainly has something to do with it. I'm sure.
1: Uh, maybe a little
0: bit, (laughs) right. We can't, I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, give it too much credit, but it's, it certainly is a name that catches your eye when you're in the liquor store.
1: No, it was, I will say that it was, uh, the name was most of the credit for a long time. Um, so it's, it's actually a funny story. Um, when we first started, uh, Guys Incorporated in 2012, 2012, and uh, it was shortly after New York passed a farm bill, um, allowing uh, distilleries to kind of get a little leeway um, on things like self-distribution uh, in exchange for using New York materials. Um, so if you're familiar with a farm brewery... Mm-hmm. It's a lot of the same rules. Um, it's more or less the distillery version of that. Um, so once they started, um they were out in a barn in Bennington. I don't know if a lot of people know this, uh, but it started small operation, barn out in Bennington, um, making apple brandy, a little bit of whiskey, aging it in some small barrels, distributing out of some pickup trucks. Uh psh, guys were having a blast. Super cool, uh, super cool, really natural um beginnings uh slightly before that they were moonshiners uh in allentown um so if you ever uh found some guys drinking moonshine outside of nietzsche's at two in the morning it was probably it was probably them um so uh the whole point is these guys have been making alcohol for a long time Um, and it went by various names and little they'd get little labels printed um but once the brand started uh the idea was to be buffalo distilling company buffalo bourbon buffalo vodka buffalo everything now you go through the process you fill out some paperwork uh and you start getting letters from this small place in kentucky oh i think i
0: there you go i know real where this is small, going already
1: real small distillery um there you go buffalo Trace. so those guys start sending you letters and they say that we own the word buffalo Uh (laughs) So we messed with them a little bit um, and came to the conclusion that we could call the distillery Buffalo distilling company Uh, being in the city of Buffalo. We kind of get first dibs at that. Yeah. But the product itself couldn't have that name, uh, unfortunately. Uh, Now, while the guys were doing this moonshining out in this barn, uh, naturally you'd have all your friends over when you're running the still so they would have these parties, uh, and on the side of this barn uh, was a rooster, and this rooster that was painted on the side of the barn had one leg. So flash forward, <laughs> you're trying, to, you're trying to get a brand made. Buffalo Trace is kind of throwing water on your fire, um, and there's Frank Senior in the back who goes, no, 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 you guys got a name you guys got a name you put the rooster right on the bottle it's one foot cock it's perfect people are going to love it it goes down smooth it's a name you can't forget an experience you'll remember the rest of your life and we said well government's definitely not going to let that fly <laughs> yeah sure enough they did
2: <laughs> uh, truth in marketing so it was that kind of an accident
1: but uh buffalo uh, we thank buffalo trace every day i'm thanking them right now huh
0: Right, I looked. I had to look it up. How long they've been around? They've been around for a bit.
1: I think they were around. Yeah, they were one of the oldest, right?
0: Yeah, seventeen ninety-seven, uh, out of Buffalo Trace, Kentucky, which I guess right. Once you once you have a wing named after you, come and talk to us.
1: Right. Exactly. So Boy, the that, one that's bummer.
0: The one I'm drinking now, the one foot cock uh, straight bourbon whiskey. Yes from batch nine um what what ingredients are in here is there wheat in here
1: yeah so that's uh, a corn wheat and barley
0: and okay so I'm I'm doing what I would very similarly do with the beer is I'm I'm smelling first Mm -hmm. uh making sure that I'm clearing my nose first and I'm smelling and then I'm getting it in my mouth, I'm swishing it around a little bit, which burns a little bit more than a beer would. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and then I let it go down. Uh, is that generally still hold okay for drinking a bourbon or is there a better way to well, do this?
1: I think you, you ran into the the kind of issue when it comes to tasting whiskey versus tasting a beer uh, or wine. Uh, you don't really have to get over it when you're drinking a beer or a wine or a cider, um, that burn um so with a whiskey for me at least uh when i'm really trying to get the flavor of something uh figure out if i like it or or kind of taste some depth in it uh no matter what anybody says no matter how much whiskey they drink um there's at least a sip or two where you're in an adjustment period i think (laughs) Um,
0: i like that adjustment period
1: and i think it's important and maybe drew can attest to this as well i think we've talked about it um that you kind of have a first, second, and third sip uh, profile. Um, And each one is going to be slightly different. Um, And as you continue to drink the glass, I think you're going to get a more rounded perspective of the whiskey, but those first three sips are going to be characteristically different uh, if you're you're really paying attention. Um, And the nose is going to kind of help pull all that together. Um, When I'm drinking whiskey... I always have to kind of calibrate to it. Um, And there's also a period I think at which you get kind of washed out and you need to drink some water
2: uh, Mm -hmm.
1: just to kind of give your tongue a break. Uh, But it's, it's always going to be a little bit abrasive, especially if it's the first sip of the day. Right, Drew?
2: Yeah. uh, And I, I think that you'll get, you'll not only get that, but you'll also play. So you'll get a lot of the soft palate. on the first sip. You'll smell a lot of the aroma. Mm-hmm. And your mouth will be like virgin, and then you get that first sip in, and it kind of, you get kind of that burn, and it's a natural reaction. Like your your body will close some of the pores on your tongue. It'll close some of the pores on the inside of your cheeks because it's like, oh, that's alcohol. That's bad for me. Uh, it does the same thing when it hits your stomach. It closes a lot of the stomach receptors. Hence, you know, liquor before beer, you're in the clear. Uh, yeah. They prove that it, it's true. So your body your body prepares for the harshening of alcohol, which is a natural defense. Um, but silly brain brain likes alcohol. Uh, uh, so, but once you swallow up that first, uh, sip, you're going to get a lot of that soft palate's going to come back. You're going to get even the notes of oak or caramel or vanilla or sweetness. A lot of those aromatics will actually make their way back further in, uh, in there. And so when you take that second sip, you're kind of combining, uh, that. So your, the harshness is kind of subdued on the second sip you're getting some of that uh, flavor of already consuming whatever you're drinking and it's bunning with the fresh that's coming in so you get that nice blend of flavor and then that's where you start to really kind of get it and your body gets used to it and, you, and you're getting a lot more of that flavor and then the third one is where you get kind of like the most comfortable and you can kind of pick out those little nuanced flavors because you're, you know, you're over the burn. You've got a lot of those back blend flavors that are coming in and forth and then, you know, you can really... You're prepared for the third sip.
1: I think everybody's kind of had that uh, when you're drinking a glass of whiskey and you don't realize it until the fifth or sixth sip and you go, you know, this is really good. And I think that's because sometimes it takes to the fifth or sixth sip to decide, you know, is is everything lining up the way I, I, I think it is? You know, maybe, you know, I just... You just ate a you know a steak sandwich at the Pink and it had a lot of sauce on it. And you're like, yeah, hey, is this really what I'm tasting? And then you realize, yeah, there's some depth here. Yeah, this is what I'm looking for. And sometimes that's when you come around to it.
0: So what would be a characteristic of a bad whiskey? Like I can tell you a bad beer. When I have a bad beer, I can tell you what's wrong with it and, and why and why it probably happened.
1: Um, well, part of that is that Um, there's a lot more breweries right now, especially small ones, especially young ones than there are distilleries. So haven't had a lot of bad whiskeys. Um, I've had a lot of uh, noble efforts, I'll say, (laughs) uh, Uh, I've had a lot of young whiskeys. Um, I think this is something that you're going to hear a lot more chatter on in the next five years. Uh, you're going to hear a lot more people, um, who are saying what makes a whiskey good versus a whiskey bad Uh, with beer. There's distinct off flavors that you're going to run into and you you get those in whiskey too. Um, And that's part of the learning process. We definitely had them in our early batches. Uh, We had some of those off flavors Uh, things like with a whiskey, you don't really want to taste what it's made out of. Um, So you, you're not really trying to taste corn, wheat, or barley when you drink that whiskey um it's something that i hear a lot from whiskey aficionados um is okay i get a corny i get a corny smell in this buffalo trace and it's like if the guy who made that heard you say that i wouldn't go well um so those are one of the most distinct off flavors um More like process differentiations, Uh, you're going to get a really hot whiskey um, if you don't distill it properly. Uh, And when I say hot, I mean like hot on the tongue. So Mm -hmm. a lot of that burn, a lot of that sizzle. Um, That's not just based on proof. Uh, A lot of it is based on distillation process and a whiskey that was made aggressively uh, with cut corners um, and trying to maximize your bang for your buck. Uh, Is going to be a very, very spicy, very hard to drink whiskey, Um, where a slow distillation uh, and a slow fermentation and all these processes, uh, process changes, will lead to something that drinks as if it's a lower proof than it actually is.
2: All right. Distillation is a little bit more forgiving uh, than fermentation is. Uh, uh, I mean (laughs) that. I I, well, I mean that's that's kind of why whiskey kind of had its big big boom back in the day is. You know, there wasn't refrigeration. There was a big land boom out west. People wanted to go west. They wanted to take up, and you can hunt meat. You can get meat fresh if you're going to survive. But things like, you know, alcohol, fun stuff, you know, wine would spoil in heat in a wagon traveling across the country. Beer would spoil. You know, no food was really kept cold. It was, you know, dry cured or seasoned or salted. Uh, You know, so whiskey was the the option. It it got better as it aged and, and, and went on. So it's definitely a, a more forgiving product. So, I mean, beer could be spoiled as a result of actual flaws in process from the brewery or a person that's producing it. It can be a storage problem where it was stored warm or incorrectly. Uh, you know, it could be an age issue where it's just super, super old and never made it to the shelf. You know, it could be super fresh and an amazing beer in a keg and go on service to a dirty draft line that, uh, you know, non-reputable a place of service so i mean with beer there's there's really a lot of uh there's a there's a lot of bastardization in the, in the process of where spoilage can happen it, it can't just be from from one source like oh this guy messed up here at this point there could have been a yeah. lot of places where you make the best beer and you hope that that beer is going to go out and you're so happy about it and then someone just treats your baby like doo-doo and leaves it outside in the summer before before it can make it into a cooler and then taste like crap when it goes on the line uh you know with, with spirits if, if it's produced and released in the expression of the distiller it goes into a bottle where are you gonna get it right out of the bottle <laughs> uh, you know if, if it sits warm in a warehouse some someplace not that bad for it you know depending upon what the conditions are but you know it's not it's not an issue it doesn't have to constantly be kept cold it doesn't you know it's not alive and living right. anymore. <laughs> so, you know, there's, there's, a,
1: there's, there's a few cosmetics. there's a lot less Go ahead. Yeah,
2: there's a lot less factors of spoilage and and degradation when it comes to spirits over over uh, beer and wine.
1: All
0: right. So then that to, to wrap this up, it goes into a barrel, right?
1: Yes. Uh, so a good portion of our products end up in a barrel. Um, whiskey's the big one. Um, so For whiskey, um, we kind of left off at that distillation phase. Uh, Mm -hmm. For whiskey, we do two distillations. So the first one's a strip, what we call a stripping run, uh, where we're just trying to kind of get as much alcohol off of the mash as possible. Um, So this is a distillation that I'm running quickly. Um, More or less, I'm trying to get that alcohol out as fast as I possibly can. Um, So the stuff coming out, like I mentioned earlier, is hot on the tongue very aggressive, uh, doesn't smell very good, um, kind of has this wet dog cardboardy kind of smell. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is all those esters um, and acids that the yeast was creating during fermentation coming to light. Uh, the reason I'm not really concerned with the flavor, the smell, uh, or the palate of the product is because we're going to go through the secondary distillation. Um, so everything comes off the still crystal clear. Uh, so at this point, I have a nice clear product to work with. Um, has all the esters I want, it has all the acids I'm looking to esterify, um, and that's what we're going to do in the spirit run. So my part of the reason for this is because now my, my spirit still stays nice and clean. Uh, mash is never hitting it, um, there's never any grain on the inside of it, it's strictly clear alcohol, um, and that copper up in the top of the column, uh, copper is used a lot in distillation for a reason, I'll get to in a little bit. Um, it gets to retain the patina that I'm building up by sending the same product through it over and over. That's very important to this process. Um, So that's that last distillation, we call it a spirit run, uh, is all about getting all those compounds I talked about, all those flavors and all those smells uh, into the right place. Um, So alcohol and water, I mentioned, they boil at two different temperatures. So when you distill... Alcohol is going to come out first, water is going to come out last. But, like with anything, nothing's perfect. Everything kind of bleeds into itself. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, when you do the spirit run, it's going to start coming out at about 160 proof, and we're going to run it all the way down to zero. Um, As the proof changes, as the temperature of the boiler changes, as the temperature of the column changes, the temperature of the condenser changes, as this, the run progresses over about an eight-hour period of time, the contents of what's evaporating, what's happening in the column, and what's traveling across the arm, all changes. Uh, and what this uh, can be measured in uh, is a change in smell uh, and taste. So that's kind of where, where we realize these changes. Uh, you study a lot, you keep track of your temperatures and your gauges to know what's going to come. But at the end of the day, this process is all based on uh, a person smelling and tasting what's coming out um, for pot still whiskey, at least, which is how we make it. Um, so the first stuff to come out, we call it the heads. Uh, these are some common terms you'll hear on the moonshiner show. Um, heads uh, is the stuff that'll make you go blind. It's methanol and acetone and poison, all this stuff. Um, really, it's just very, very unpalatable. Um okay. There are small amounts of things that are very dangerous in large amounts, um, but those heads itself aren't as dangerous as a lot of people let on. Use it to light fires. Use it to go camping. Use it to have fun. Uh,
2: so, so this this is this is a bottle on bond thing. So people would think that if you made horrible spirits, you'd be putting too much of the heads in there that for making people go right. blind. It wasn't. They were adding other things to give you a kick like gasoline and other harsher chemicals that would make you go blind exactly and that's why bottle on bond is in place it was actually oh, there okay. to protect the customer not because like i said like blowing yourself up can it happen maybe under the right circumstances under a full moon maybe but it, it's a myth they were adding other stuff to it can heads make you go blind i mean i'm sure if you drink enough of it if you drink enough of anything it'll make you go blind but
0: Right. I, I've always heard methanol for headaches as in it'll cause a, a harsher head hangover, but that might be a myth too. I don't know.
1: Uh, that was a huge part of it. Um, it is a, a big part of it. Uh, a lot more of that is, is kind of the material you would use to make your still. Um, so a lot of people were using cheap materials, uh, lead solder, things like that, um, that led to a lot of issues. Uh, copper is used for one of the big reasons copper is used is because it naturally pulls sulfides out of your product. Uh, So if you're somebody who's sensitive to sulfides in wine, Mm -hmm. um, when you distill a wine to make cognac, uh, you're condensing the alcohol. You're also condensing all those sulfides. So you do a shot of it. You're getting as many sulfides as a glass of wine um, more, actually. Um, That's going to hit you very, very, very hard, especially uh, like Drew said, uh, when you're, Uh, your pores are opened up a lot more your vessels are opened up a lot more it's going to hit you a lot faster um so there were a lot of things going on at that time and i would like to say that most of these adjuncts that were being added to this whiskey were being added by employees of the federal government but that's beside the point (laughs) (laughs) um that a lot of these things weren't based on the heads or the hearts or the tails, Um, but that's not the point. Uh, so that's the heads, uh, that gets used to clean things. Uh, we have kick-ass barn, uh, bonfires with it. Um, it's never used to redistill. It doesn't really go into any other processes. Uh, I use it to clean drains, things like that. It's great for that. Um, uh, I,
2: I personally use some of, of Kevin's heads. Oh, yeah. uh, we use it We use it as a secondary product, as a cleaning product at the brewery. Uh, so we've got um, carbonation stones, which are stainless steel. We've got some ceramic ones also that are very fine micron that we use to carbonate uh, in our bright and conditioning tanks. Mm-hmm. And the it works like a stripping alcohol. Uh, so it's a natural grain spirit, uh, you know, natural product, and it cleans all the, the grime and the oils, you know, if pop Pop oils are very sticky. Uh, yeah. Fruit pectins are very sticky, and they stick in those little tiny micrometer holes, and the alcohol gets in there and removes them, and, and we'll soak them and, and use it as that. Uh, I also picked up some for that purpose and then went to a friend's uh, house party afterward for his birthday, and they couldn't get a fire started because it started raining. And I said, I got this. And I, I went to the Jeep, and I pulled out a half gallon of heads and gave some wet wood, a little dousing, and bonfire started right up
0: this oh, is good to Multi- know
2: multi-purpose
0: next oh, year because we're campers and uh, you never know yep. what the wood you get off the side of the road and sometimes it just doesn't start oh
1: maybe
2: navy, navy proof rum
1: you're gonna have some heads in your camping bag from now on for sure all right yeah just don't mix up your flasks <laughs> yes
0: <laughs> uh which i will ascertain legally from one of the uh of course. Of course. licensed distilleries here in in the state of course of uh,
1: course So we get out of the the heart, the head, and we next get into the uh, hearts. And this is where things start to clean up. Uh, Your aroma goes from smelling very volatile, um, acetonal, um, nail polish removery, transitions into a much cleaner aroma. Um, The more you smell new make, as we call it uh, hearts, uh, you start to kind of smell through the age, as I like to say. Um, so the first time you smell new make doesn't smell anything like six-year-old whiskey. Mm -hmm. Um, The more and more you smell both, the more you can kind of learn to, to smell through the age, as I said. Um, but more or less what you're looking for in that smell and that taste when you're transitioning into the hearts isn't necessarily sweet or smooth or caramely or anything like that you're looking for the specific chemicals that you need uh, to create the process in that barrel that you want to get the end product. Um, And this is a process that's consistent throughout the entire whiskey making process. Um, In your ferment, you're going to have smells that smell like Chippewa on a Monday morning. Um, But those are going to turn into some of the most beautiful smells throughout your distillation. Uh, I use that as a beer name. Yes, please. And then those throughout a barrel aging process are going to turn into completely different uh, flavors and smells. Um, So it really is a a long game. Um, Once we kind of move through the hearts, uh, that's where your corn starts to come in or the product uh, that you made your mash out of. Uh, You start to kind of get the natural aroma of whatever you made it out of. This is something that depending on what you're making kind of is arbitrary uh for apple brandy a little bit of that apple flavor is very nice uh a natural apple essence Mm -hmm. Uh, for whiskey you really really don't want it um so as soon as we start to approach a grass hay like uh you've known you've gone way too far um there's actually a very very subtle cinnamon uh content in most whiskey um it's cinnamon it's the actual cinnamon is your cut point. That's the last thing that you really, in my opinion, want to collect as hearts. It's very, very subtle um, to get it. And once you get it, you won't unsmell it. You won't untaste it. Hmm. But it's a Very, very kind of tongue numbing um, cinnamon red hot flavor. Uh, and that's when you, you don't want to go any further. Your hay and your grass and your corn and your wet dog is very shortly after that.
2: I, I love walking in uh, when Kevin invites me over and he's doing a run and I'll walk over and just get a sniff of how the whole run smells without having anything and I'll walk over and I'll put my finger under the strip and taste it and i try and I'm trying to figure it out. So I try and guess where he is doing either mm-hmm. like heads, hearts, you know, heads, hearts or tails based upon what's coming out of the still. So I, I try and guess, I'm working on it.
0: Nice. Oh, he's getting. I feel like if I did that, the, excuse me, sir, please, please stop doing that.
2: Uh, I, <laughs> Sorry. I, I, I hang out by the back door. They let me, <laughs> or at least they haven't shooed me away with a broom yet.
1: Not yet. Uh, uh,
2: can I, can I ask, I'm sure this probably also plays a, a big factor in one of my favorite products and probably the biggest elephant in the room that we haven't talked about yet tonight, the Krupnik. Oh yeah. So, so the, the honey. So if you're, if you're distilling the honey, is that like where you're, you're getting the, the hearts is where you're getting a lot of that natural honey character and a lot so, of that stuff or
1: so with krupnik um and this kind of goes into a lot of the products we we make um because we do make a large variety of special releases small batch and liqueurs uh, flavored products um krupnik being the most popular uh for us krupnik starts as vodka uh, and we make that vodka out of a hundred percent uh corn so first step of that process is making vodka. Uh, so a lot of people, uh, will, will assume that we're fermenting and distilling honey a lot like making mead. Um, right. but we're adding the honey all after. Um, and that's for a couple reasons, um, fermenting and distilling enough honey to make the base for the Krupnik would be extremely, extremely expensive, um, and a very slow process, but I just might have a small tote of honey fermenting right now that I'm going to distill. And this is, you guys are the first people to hear about this. Uh, and we're going to make a small run of Krupnik distilled from honey. Um, it might only be 10 bottles, but so help me God, we will release it.
2: <laughs> oh, well, it's 502, Scott. You can't use that material.
1: I'm, <laughs> I'm writing it down. I can, I can take that.
2: <laughs> it's going to cost
0: you. you. It's going to cost you. <laughs> uh,
2: but we
1: had uh, we had all the honey after Drew. Um, I didn't raw. know that. Yes, so it's I, raw. I, I was,
2: I was, the layman. I was, I was, I thought you guys were fucking making mead and just throwing off of it. All right, <laughs> that's what oh, I thought
1: too. A what lot of people, because it has such a bright honey flavor. Um, right. That's right. I, I
2: mean, that's what I expected.
1: Right. It's not that caramely typical uh, honey you get, and a lot of that has to do with that we don't heat it. We mix it in cold, um, which makes okay. it. So a pain in
2: the ass. Hmm. I've I've seen I've seen the beater, the drill like
1: Oh yeah. Oh, I gotta buy one of those. Those things. That's my favorite new tool in the paint in the mixer. Store. Yeah.
2: It's a paint mixer. Drill drill attachment paint mixer.
1: Stainless steel paint mixer is my favorite thing in the world. I use it for everything. Yes. I'm surprised I onions with it. <laughs> pulling pork.
2: Yeah, 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 there you go. <laughs>
0: uh can
1: we get back to the barrel
2: oh yes. or tails where are tails so
1: uh so that uh right to bring it back um so you get to the tails the tails is the last stuff you want to smell um the hearts is what ends up going into the barrel um so that out of a run um percentage wise is kind of arbitrary but we take 1200 pounds of corn wheat and barley a 500 gallon mash and at the end of this process seven days later we fill one 30-gallon barrel. Um,
0: okay,
1: From there, it ages as long as you'd like it to. Um, I think the sweet spot for something to really start tasting like whiskey, um, it kind of loses its young edge, is around five, six years. Um, so in my opinion, uh, our stuff still has a little bit of that uh, kind of bright-eyed and bushy-tailed aroma, um, as I like to call it. Uh, But it's fun to drink, and uh, the way we distilled the barrels that were going to get pulled a little younger, um, we intentionally distilled those to have a a much smoother uh, drinking experience. So even though it's young, it's not necessarily hot on the tongue. Uh, The stuff that we're going to be releasing that is four to six years in the next two to three years um, is going to have more of that characteristics uh, bite that a bourbon is known to have.
0: All right, then are you blending?
1: After those right now, we're not blending. All our products are single barrel. Um, The bourbon will eventually be a blended product, but we're still probably three or four years away from that. Um, In the next year, you're going to see products coming out like an empire rye, a seven grain whiskey, uh, and some wine barrel finishes. Um, Those kind of products for the next 10, 20 years are all always going to be single barrel.
0: Right. So when you're distilling, you got to have a, you got to have a long distance plan
1: oh yeah you stay in the moment you you do your thing but you're always kind of thinking 10 20 years out um
2: it's a flight to cancun six years from now right exactly
0: (laughs) so that that's all i had thank you thank you very much both of you for for doing this
1: no thank you scott
0: sitting down my pleasure like afternoon and popping some whiskey out of course uh so uh I got this bottle so people can find out. I got this bottle at uh, McKinley. Uh, I forget what part of what group it's. Oh, global. It's part of global group at McKinley Wine and Spirits. Uh, They also have it at Briarwood Wines and Spirits. And you can find uh, the entire list on uh, Buffalo Brewing, or I'm sorry, Buffalo (laughs) (laughs) Distilling's uh, website. Right, So where you can find it? Because it was sold out at the distillery, because that's where I wanted to pick it up.
1: Yes. So the straight bourbon is right now all on the streets, uh, meaning it's all in the liquor stores. Uh, We do have a very limited release uh, single barrel that's only available at the distillery right now.
0: All right.
1: Um, So depending on what you're looking for, might only be at the shop, might only be at the liquor stores, uh, but that's a craft place. Uh, And I do like to say every We've uh, we can ship every any, everywhere in New York now too. Uh, oh, so,
0: shipping okay.
1: Yes, uh, New York and DC. So if you've got a family member uh towards the city or in upstate um, and you want to send them something, go on our website. We make it super easy. Um, as well as curbside, if you want us to run something out to your car, we make it super easy.
2: That's good to know. All right, save, save one of the, save one of those bottles for me, Kev. You still yeah. got a couple of. I'll definitely, like I said, it goes, it goes fast, friend. You gotta right. get Brandy. Brandy?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I think it would go, she's a fine girl. <laughs> uh, what a good wife she would be. And it would probably go fast. I would probably drink the Brandy and then just leave the whiskey. So that would, that would probably make more sense.
0: <laughs> All right. I'm got, I'm going to head out. I'm sorry. I got to leave guys, but thank you so much.
2: No, thank you, Scott. No, I Scott, will, yeah, thank
0: you. I'll send it to you guys before I send, I put it out. And if you, if you hate it. We'll scrap it. Oh, <laughs> but I thought it was great.
1: Perfect. All right.
0: Talk to you guys soon. Cheers. So, hey, thank you for listening. Check out the video on YouTube if you want to see it. It's at youtube.com forward slash Blue. It's at youtube.com forward slash WNYBruce. I'm going to leave that in. Uh, you can find us at buffalobeerleague.com on the Hopped Up Network and uh oh on patreon patreon patreon.com forward slash wny bruce and please check out the rearview ramblers we always go out on their song you can't buy beer with condolences you can find them at rearviewramblers.com i'll see you on the next episode of wny bruce thank you